Good morning, church. It is a rainy Sunday outside, but I can feel the presence of God in here, and I am so glad to be here in the house today. Uh, we've got people from all over joining us. We have Pennsylvania, Michigan, West Virginia, Washington State, Massachusetts, thank you, first service, they just put M-A, and I'm like, which one is that? Thank you guys for spelling out mass, I appreciate it. North Carolina, Georgia, California, I know who's watching from California right now, big love. New Jersey, New York, Ohio, Indiana, South Carolina, and Virginia, welcome to all of you. And I just want to say a big shout out to those of you that are in the room. I am so proud as a pastor when people don't let superficial things keep them from God's house. The fact that we woke up today and it was yucky outside, so many people would have said, you know what, I'm just not going to make that a priority today. But I see when people grow in their maturity and they grow spiritually that they don't let anything keep them from God's house. So I just wanted to congratulate you on that of just going next level and uh, not letting the small things set you aside, right? Give yourselves a hand. So we have been in a series here called A Thrill of Hope, and I just thought that I would kind of process through that a bit with all of you, because if we were to have everyone in the room close your eyes and say, hey, I want you to picture the Christmas story, just close your eyes and picture the Christmas story, what most people would say is they would say, okay, I see the manger, I see the wise men and the shepherds, I see all the animals gathered around, and there's little baby Jesus lying there swaddled in clothing. I see Mary and Joseph looking over top, and the big star that is in the sky, and we sing songs like we did today, the thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices, and we sing, oh, night divine. But how many of you know that everything about the Christmas story didn't feel so divine? Everything about the Christmas story was not what we picture just that one night underneath the manger. So what I want to do is I want to talk about the story of Christmas and let's make it a little bit more expansive and talk about all that actually did happen in Luke chapter 1, we're going to start where Mary is approached by the angel Gabriel, and he begins to unfold the plan of God for her life. And I want you to see that her first response was fear and denial. It says, now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man named Joseph. Now, betrothed simply means that they were legally married, but they hadn't consummated the marriage yet. Y'all understand what I'm saying, right? Men, you should have at least said amen on that one. Okay. It says they were of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. 
But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Now, I just want to expound here for a minute just to help you understand the context in which this is being said. The Old Testament is written in Hebrew. The New Testament is written in Greek, which is what we are reading right now, Greek that has been translated into English. But we have to understand something very specific. Most of us in the room, English is our first language. And so we just, when we read things, we only understand it from our English context. But here in the Greek language, as we are reading, they have very different meanings for things. And so I want to give you like a little insight into what that looks like. So, for example, if I were to say, I love Troy Maxwell, I love pizza, and I love my dog Snickers, you in the English language are just to assume which type of love that is for each of those. There is only one word, love, and we are just to assume the importance of what that might mean if I'm using the same word for pizza, my dog, and my husband. And some days, those words might be different. One day, Snickers might be a little higher than Pastor Troy. And PT might be the one in the doghouse instead of Snickers, right? But in the Greek language, they would not use the same word love to describe all three of those. That word love, they would break out into very different words like arios, philo, and agape. Whereas in our English language, we just use one word to blanket everything. Okay, so when we're reading this, and we're reading this from the Greek, and it says that she was troubled, what that word actually means is she was acutely distressed through and through. It's a pretty intense feeling of what she's going through right now. And then it says that the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, Well, literally what that translates is, Mary, don't put to flight. Mary, don't run away right now. I know how you're feeling. That word also invokes terror. She was terrified and wanting to run. But Gabriel says, don't put to flight, Mary. Don't be afraid, for you have found favor with God. How many of us, When we are walking through a difficult situation, something where we feel terrified, think that maybe the favor of God isn't on our life. Did you know that you can still have favor and feel intense fear? Mary did. And then we know the story continues. Here we are singing Night Divine, but when we go back and we look at the story, she probably wasn't feeling so divine when We talk about the Christmas story. We know she was feeling fear and terrified. And then we find out that her husband, Joseph, hears of the pregnancy and abandons their wedding plans. He plans to divorce her. In Matthew chapter 1, it says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, I explained to you that they had not consummated the marriage yet, She was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example because she could have been stoned, put her away secretly, means he was going to divorce her privately, 
so everyone didn't know. He didn't want her to be killed. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. We also know based on later conversations with the Pharisees that they would question the paternity of Jesus, which means that there is some talk surrounding her right now. Maybe her friends and family are talking about her. Maybe some accusations. Did you hear what happened to Mary? That doesn't feel so divine. Then we find out that as Mary begins to progress in her pregnancy, that her and Joseph have to travel and they have to go to Bethlehem because her husband was of the house of David. And they have to go and travel, not because they're going on vacation, but because they've got to be counted for the census and they have to be taxed. Somebody say yuck three times. Yuck, yuck, yuck. Not only are they going to be taxed, but they got taxed twice because they were under Roman rule and judicial rule. So they had to pay taxes twice. So you are taking me nine months pregnant on the back of a big, hairy animal, a donkey. And it's not like we're going someplace great. You're taking me to go pay taxes. Now, when I was nine months pregnant, I could have been in a recliner chair with pillows all around me made of feathers and down and air conditioning blowing in my face, and I still was very uncomfortable and not a happy camper. But here she is on the back of a donkey at almost nine months pregnant, having to travel 80 miles from Nazareth to Bethlehem. There's no way her joints weren't hurting. She wasn't a little swollen, a little achy. And she's on a filthy, dirty animal. I'm processing this in my head. That doesn't feel so divine to me. And then on top of that, we know that when people would travel, it's not like what we would do today where our valuables would be stored in a safe or we would keep our money in the bank. They had to take everything they had with them, which is why thieves and robbers always lined the traveling paths of the roads, ready to pounce on them. It was dangerous when you would travel, particularly when it got dark. So think about you're trying to protect this gift to the world that you are responsible for. You've got some friends and family that are talking about you. Your husband, even at one point, wanted to get rid of you. You are a little bit scared. You're trying to protect this promise. You're going down dark roads at night with everything that you have. You're nine months pregnant on a big, hairy animal. It's not feeling so divine to me. And I know what would be going through my mind is I just can't wait to get to Bethlehem where I can soak my swollen feet at the hotel. Joseph might even give me a little back rub, a little pity back rub. 
They get there. Joseph did not book with Travelocity. There is literally no hotel rooms available. Mary starts having contractions, and the best that the innkeeper can do is say, hey, we, we call it a manger because we want to make it look really cute and pretty. Oh, the manger. No, no, no. It was a barn with animals that were doing what animals do in a barn, which means it stunk. I don't care how cute we try to make it look. Jesus was born in a barn. Mary gave birth in a barn. I gave birth in a hospital three times, and I still didn't like that. I had the bed that went up and down. I'm pretty sure Joseph wasn't feeding her ice chips. I know she didn't get an epidural. She probably didn't even get a push present. I mean, you feeling me? And we can make the manger scene look all glorious, but you try going laying in the hay and having a baby in the hay, which I am highly allergic to, by the way. Doesn't look so divine. Then Mary has baby Jesus, and that's the moment we freeze in time. We forget about everything that happened before that I just said to you, and we forget some of the things that happened next that weren't so divine. In a dream, Joseph is told that they have to flee. Think about as a father the responsibility of raising the Savior of the world, the intensity of that. They don't even get to settle in, but for too long, and now they have to flee. It says that they have to go to Egypt until the threat is gone. So they don't even get to go home. They go, they pay their taxes, they get counted for the census, taxed twice because of Roman rule, and now they're fleeing for their lives and the lives of their baby son the Messiah, having to go to Egypt. Now they're nomads. But when we think of that Christmas story, we don't think of all of the hardships, all of the difficulties, all of the things that they had to walk through. We go straight to hope in that manger scene. Why? Because we go, well, we know the end of the story. We know the purpose of why all of those things happen. We understand the purpose of what Jesus came to do. But when we take that same scenario and we apply it to our lives, when we go through difficult times, somehow we miss the promise on the other end of the pain and we get stuck in the pain. And why do we do that? Well, because sometimes we think we don't know how this is going to turn out. But I would say just like what we read about Jesus and the promise, we absolutely know how it's going to turn out. One way or another, our God gets the victory. We have a hope. You see, the problem is, is sometimes we put our hope in this world. And when we put our hope in this world, when we walk through hardships, we're going to be disappointed every single time. 
Because this life is not meant to be all there is. When we get focused on this life alone, sometimes we can feel trapped, like we're prisoners, like we're in a situation we can't get out of and we feel stuck and and almost spiritually claustrophobic. Because we've walked through a difficult marriage. Maybe we've been divorced. Maybe a business partner betrayed us. Maybe a friendship or a relationship we thought would always be there isn't. Maybe we got a diagnosis and we don't know any way out. Or we have a financial situation that without a miracle, there's no way to overcome. We know that Mary wanted to quit right in the beginning. Otherwise, Gabriel wouldn't have said, don't put to flight, Mary, don't run. We also know that Joseph was thinking about quitting too, which is why he said, I'll divorce her quietly. What I want you to know today is that every single person in their life at some point or another has wanted to quit, give up. Every champion has wanted to quit. Every doctor has felt the pain of quitting. Every mother, every father, every soldier, every president, Every king, every champion, you and me, we have all felt like, I just can't do this anymore. It's too much. Maybe you wanted to quit on your marriage or quit on your calling. Maybe you wanted to stop dreaming because it just didn't seem like it would ever happen. Maybe parenting just seemed overwhelming. And instead of pushing through and persevering, we froze. There's something inside of us, as small as it may be, even if it's just an ember or a flicker, there's something in us that says, don't quit. Because we know this world is not meant to be our forever home. And when you know something is only temporary, you can endure most anything. This world can't deliver the hope we want. So if we're going to finish strong, there's something in us that has to settle in. That there's more to life than what's on this side of eternity. Hope is different than optimism. You see, optimism is about the optics, what I can see. Hope is believing even when it doesn't look good. Hope is not some blindfolded, pin the tail on the donkey type of thinking. Hope is intentional, is specific. 
Because there was a lot that sure didn't look good to Mary and Joseph in that journey. But hope is seeing the light even when darkness seems to surround you. Even when it looks like there's no way out of your situation. There's two very specific prophecies that Zechariah gives. The first is about Jesus being born, and the second is about his second coming in the book of Zechariah. And God literally uses him to get a prophetic word out. You see, Israel had faced a bitter defeat at the hands of the Babylonians, and they had been captured, and Zechariah was sent to remind them of their true fate, not what things look like in that moment. And he says to them, as for you, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will free your prisoners from the waterless pit. We'll break that down in a minute. And then he says, return to your fortress, you prisoners of hope. Even now, I announce that I will restore twice as much to you. The prophet